I'm Aaron Weintraub, and this is Inside Kurdistan. So I've been meaning to set up a podcast that focuses on LGBTQ rights and advocacy for some time now, as well as just a general discussion about queer identity in Iraq and Kurdistan, because it's a topic that is consistently updating and developing here. And unfortunately, as soon as I started making progress on potentially securing an interview with this, uh, there was yet another development that occurred uh, last month that very much derailed my efforts. Um, On September 4th, parliamentary members of the Kurdistan Regional Government proposed a bill titled the Bill on the Prohibition of Promoting Homosexuality. And this bill targets specifically advocacy and media coverage that concerns addressing the needs of the queer community here, um, including podcasts like this one. And the bill not only directly affects the freedom of expression in the region for members of the queer community, but it also further seeks to silence the overall conversation about gay, trans, and other queer identities in the Kurdistan region of Iraq. The bill currently has 76 signatures of the 111 seats in parliament, and if it's passed, activists supporting LGBTQ rights in Iraqi Kurdistan could potentially face up to a year in prison or a maximum fine of up to 5 million Iraqi dinars, which is around 3,500 USD. With me today are two advocates from the queer community. And we do discuss this bill, but it was also important for me to focus on them and their work and their insight into what the community needs here and what they believe might be the proper approach to establishing a stronger base for LGBTQ rights in the future here. The names they're using for this interview are David and Ardasher, and they've both requested to use these names as well as have their voices changed, uh, which can make it a little difficult (laughs) to (laughs) differentiate their answers. But if you listen closely, you can pick out who's who. Uh, The voice and name change was made to ensure their privacy and safety. David is a mental health expert who has begun to counsel queer individuals who are facing issues with intense isolation, depression, and abuse. Uh, An enormous problem out here, which we get into right away, is the lack of support for individuals in the community and the isolation that comes with being queer in a society where it can be dangerous to be so. Uh, He's only begun this work in the past few years, and so with me as well as Arda, who has been an activist for a little longer and has worked with a lot of organizations out here that will also go unnamed. Uh, But he brings with him a long list of experiences as well as insight into what the community needs, and together they really paint a great picture of the current issues the community here is facing in Kurdistan and Iraq. And so with all of that background covered, here's what we discussed. I think it'd be best to begin this by starting personally before we cover some of the bigger cultural and political aspects of this topic. So let's start with you, David. I was wondering if you could tell me when you first started coming out to your friends and if you could share with us sort of the reactions and impact that that experience had on you. Well, it was all of like a really odd start of an experience, to be honest. Um, some people like, would consider it late, as it was like around mid-college. Um, it all started when we had um, a lecture about 
in psychiatry that it was about like um, gender identity and like sexual orientation. And surprisingly, um, the professor like giving the lecture was like, yeah, it's something normal, it's something okay. Um, it's not a disorder anymore, um, according to the DSM-5 and all of the references, etc. And just, like, I've naturally developed, like, a very kind of, um, fierce curiosity towards the subject. I was like, yeah, I want to know more about it. What is this? Um, and I went, like, read lots about it and, um, started, like, Googling it and so forth. Eventually, I found myself, like, relating much of what I've been searching on and, like, even through certain people, like, that I've talked to online that, like, I've been, like, referring things from what they have mentioned to my own, like, life, childhood, etc., and, like, like, the things that I'm feeling. And, um, that was, like, the point of realization of my orientation but at the same time it was like the first time for me like coming out to one of my best friends and it was like an exciting time and everything but at the same time I realized how difficult dangerous and threatening it is to be um, a queer person here um, in the re in this region like whether it's KRI or Middle East um, from then let's say like I took it very carefully i was like paying attention to everything having like the classic double life um for several years i had like almost like no support system um let's say like no uh queer or queer friendly friends that i could be myself with um except for that like one single friend of mine that actually like had to distance himself because of um, some sort of like issues actually related to um, me coming out to him. Some people kind of thought that like kind of in a way knew and um, they started like putting out some threats. Uh, I evaded everything in a way and like denied everything. Like no, there's nothing like this, etc. Um, but yes, um, for the last, like, one or two years of me in college, like, I was, like, completely isolated, I was, like, off from everyone, um, some of the, like, most terrible times of my life, at the same time, it did motivate me to actually work and do something in the future, like, to change this reality, to change, and to prevent anyone else, like, from actually, like, falling a victim for such a situation um but let's say um more of com me coming out like to more people being a part of a society of a circle of friends um whom are like either like queer or queer friendly etc was um more right just like a, a short time right before covid started here and it was like through um, someone like that I've, that I've met through some friends and um, for some reason like I was like open about my orientation with them and he was like oh hey like um, come over it's me and just like a couple of friends like chilling like and it was my actually like first time being like in one room with more than one 
like let's say <laughs> queer person um it was like a completely like new experience um i was around like 28 29 and at the same time, like, I was still, like, seeing lots of people out there just completely, like, off circles, um, with no support system, with no friends at all, just, like, lost, not knowing what is happening around them, um, rejected by their families, rejected by their friends, rejected by their relatives and their co-workers and colleagues. And they are in desperate need of just, like, someone just to say, like, hey, let's... Like, let me introduce you, like, to my friends, and we can hang out. And it's as simple as that, and it can change someone's life in an instance. So uh, it's good that you brought up your own isolation here straight away because you've now uh, completed your studies and you're working in the mental health sector. Uh, and I was hoping that you could explain to me how the effects of that kind of isolation that many in the queer community here face impacts long-term mental health for those individuals? Um, well, st like, first thing first, um, even in college, they were like, yeah, queerity is connected to higher levels of depression, anxiety, suicide, blah, blah, blah. But but they never told us, why is it like this? It's, and when you actually just, like, go, like, a bit deeper into the subject and kind of, like, know a bit more about it, it's not only about being queer. It's about being anything that the society rejects and isolates. Um, whether, like, you dress differently or whether, like, you behave differently in a way that the society does not accept, you will be, like, isolated. You will be kind of, like, rejected. You will be just, like... Um, put in a way, and this action from the society is the actual reason that will um, kind of impose those problems or like those issues or those disorders or whatever they are like on that person. Um, for example, like if it's a queer person and definitely rejected, uh, there is like Definitely, it's only like in the na their natural response, like for them to be depressed, anxious, and like even develop like some su suicidal ideas and everything. Well, so I'm going to reference a, a Human Rights Watch report uh, that was published earlier this year uh, in March, actually, where uh, 54 members of the community here were interviewed regarding their experiences about personal safety and uh, uh, health in Iraq and Kurdistan. And 16 of the 54 reported that they've attempted suicide at least once. Uh, and the other one that I'd like to focus on, uh, which I think is maybe the most telling, uh, is when asked if they would turn to the authorities uh, to report a crime of abuse or harassment, uh, 54 out of 54 of these individuals said that they would not report it, uh, which I think is maybe... Um, the most significant statistic uh, when talking about isolation. Uh, so Arda, when we were talking about uh, different factors that might contribute to this, uh, one that I brought up was potentially religion, uh, which you actually pushed back on. And I was wondering if you could maybe elaborate uh, a little more on what you actually think plays a larger role regarding societal pressure. Uh, something I notice a lot is that it does not relate to anyone's religious affiliation or how, how deep they are in the religion. Um, if they're accepting of it or if they're tolerant of it, they would accept me. And that's been evident throughout, like with all my friendships, with all my friends. Um, 
But what's, what's, what I notice is an issue, even among them, is that they they related somehow, oh, okay, uh, maybe you should start acting a bit more masculine. Maybe it's the community's view on the matter itself. Um, so, genuinely speaking, cultural impact of, like, on, on the people's mindset is that the community itself is rather accepting, but they're always held back by the culture because, okay, you're you're behaving in a certain way. Maybe you should not do that. So that's the masculinity. It's it's they they relate that to being feminine, and that's something that is also like a misogynistic perspective of things, I believe. Um, so th- that's what I thought. Could you both give me some insight as to how you go about choosing who you come out to and and some of the different factors of risk that play into that for you? Uh, David, why don't we why don't we start with you? Well, um, it's really hard like decision like to do so. Um, sometimes like okay, I I've made I've made bad decisions. Like I've chosen like really um, kind of, let's say, the wrong people like to tell, but at the same time, like, um, I have met and, like, came out to some people that I was actually, like, so lucky to come out to them. Um, but it's, it's all about some sort of, like, that gut sense, um, that you just have, that you kind of, like, might think that that person might be, like, more accepting, especially, when you are kind of um, off guard and you let, let's say, like a hand swing slip or like you would, um, after like a few drinks and like somebody is like, it's just like throws a joke like about you being a bit femme and like, and you're like, yeah, of course I am. And like, <laughs> and then like the next day you're like, yeah, no, no, no. Like I was like on drinks or whatever. Um, but you just like kind of see their reaction about it and like see how they actually like um, digest um, those kind of let's say accidental coming out if we can call them Uh, and I was like lucky to come out one of my really close straight friends and I have even like went into discussions with him, etc. And like he's actually like very curious, like to know more about it. And like he's super supportive. Um, and it was like such a like a good feeling to know that someone who is not anywhere close, like let's say to the queer community, is actually like very open about the subject and like very respectful about it, and is even like supportive, Loki. Um, at the same time. One of um, the bad decisions that I've made was like coming out to um, one of my parents, and I thought that like yes, if anything, like they're my like uh, that person is my parent, um, they will like love me no matter what, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the really bad rejection came, and it was not as dramatic as I expected. Like. A, rejection scenario would be but at the same time it was like um it was like not one big rejection it's like a long-term like chronic rejection like going so far uh like they don't want to talk about it anymore they um they're still hoping that there might be a change and like i'm like no it's not like that i'm sorry sorry (laughs) 
I try to convince them like with with common sense, with going with their scenarios, everything. But uh, the idea and like uh, what our society thinks of, let's say, um, queer men and what they can do or how they should live is deeply fixed and deeply implanted like within the minds of let's say at least the older generation but sometimes it does get passed into the newer one unfortunately and Arda you've had to deal with uh, blackmail before correct right um so um I feel like most of the time the the pushback is from the community itself is that they're always looking for something to um to to use against you so you don't even feel comfortable in in the queer community itself um at this point it's something that happened and that's it but it's it's kind of upsetting to see people with in the community that you you should feel comfortable with you you feel you should feel safe with are treating you like that so even within the community itself you're handpicking who you're coming out to (laughs) Why do you think that issue exists in the community? I, I think it's mostly just um, themselves being insecure about who they are mm-hmm. and also just benefit from other people. Um, given, like, maybe there's this economical situation going on that would, they would be like, okay, this is a good way to take advantage of um, of someone vulnerable who, who I can blackmail easily and get whatever I want. But I was young. I, yeah, it was just like a couple of years ago. Um, just like going through like dating apps and whatever. And back then I didn't have um, that exposure to the fr- queer friendly groups or just any kind of support from the queer community itself. Um, so I was just going around, um, met up with this guy and then like he just started um, blackmailing. Um, he's like, okay, if you don't do that, this and whatever, um, I would expose you. I know this person, this person. I know where you live. Whatever. Luckily, nothing came out of it. Um, and my way to deal to deal with it was <laughs> to just avoid it entirely, like ignore it, and just like it will go away. But luckily, it did. But overall speaking, that's just the experience. Rather traumatizing. <laughs> Have you or or someone you know uh, seen? online harassment turn into uh, like a real threat like a physical threat um actually yeah a friend of mine although like not queer but it was um a girl um who's my friend um who basically was getting blackmailed um rumors like getting spread about her um basically for just one thing she did back when she was 16 now just like caught up to her when she was in college and people were like sharing her pictures again with not with not and had all of that yeah. to cut this off um i took her permission to share these stories <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so she knows it. yeah yeah well, thank you very much I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up actually because it's something that's worth mentioning here is that this conversation only involves men here and the issues that gay and trans women face are fundamentally different Uh, And it's a thing actually I think is worth bringing up now is that the LGBTQ package, uh, if you will, is very much a construct of of sort of Western advocacy and and grouping all of these demographics together. uh, can be an issue because the consequences of being a gay man versus a gay woman out here, for example, are vastly different. 
Uh, and I was hoping actually if we could maybe discuss some of the consequences for gay and trans women here. Um, one of the situations that happened, um, again, like this is with her consent. I asked her about it. She was completely fine with it. Um, is that recently like she was outed um, to her family and their reaction was rather very, very um, aggressive. Um, she was basically um, put in solitary confinement at home. She was she was isolated and cut off from like everyone she knew. Um, religious was forced uh, religion was forced down her throat. Um, the sort of abuse like when she reached out to me um, from a phone her friend snuck her in for um, basically was, hey, they're doing this and this to me. but but like what, what's weird about this is that no matter what they put on her, it was basically, please don't tell anyone. Um, I don't want to hurt my family. Um, that's that's something that's been that's been a theme even within the queer, queer community themselves. David, have you worked with individuals uh, who have had to deal with familial abuse? And and I was wondering if you could elaborate a little on the kind of impact that that specific form of abuse has uh, from a psychiatric perspective, and how to treat that abuse when it happens. I personally, um, okay. Uh... Yeah, there has been cases. Uh, there has been people that have like um, suffered a lot from like really, let's say, dramatic, aggressive rejection. That, like they they were threatening to be killed, etc. If they don't stop doing whatever they are doing, and like if they don't start kind of like heading in the opposite direction in a very radical way, and for me myself, I was not able like to do much for them because like because of the, the distance. I was like I tried to provide as much of um, let's say like mental health support as much as I could, and a little bit of counseling of how they can kind of let's say drive through um, this uh, let's say situation that they are going through until help help arrives um, if there will be any and. For me, I definitely, from one side, try to connect that person to um, certain, like, uh, points of help that kind of, like, um, save that person's life. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I was like, okay, until help arrives, I need you to kind of go with the flow with, like, your parents, even if it's if it would take, like, a while, let's, let's say a year or two. I know it's... It's like completely like mentally torturing not to be yourself um, with yourself and having like to pretend some that you're something that you're not. But in that case, like your safety, your security, you staying alive comes first. And with every word that I was saying to that person that was like just pretend not to be yourself everything that come that came with that it was like so painful to to me myself like to like for me like to start with and i know like um and i can never imagine like how much pain that they're going to go through just like to to stay alive just like to survive through the situation um until they find like a way out of it well in the way you phrase it if help arrives not when uh, yeah, that's the thing is the isolation in the community comes from a lack of ability 
to have a structure of support. And we're not even mentioning specific organizations that may be able to provide help. Uh, and that's for their own protection. Um, for, for example, last year uh, in Suleimania, there were 11 employees at the Rasan organization, uh, which is a human rights organization there, uh, were arrested. Um, and the justification for the arrest warrants were for public indecency. Uh, so I was wondering if we could pivot to talking about why an infrastructure of support is needed and what needs to change regarding the current setup to make sure uh, fewer individuals find themselves isolated in dangerous situations. Um, there is a lot to be done to start with. Um, from my point of view um, is to... Well, okay, like the radical way of like solving this is like to change like the the way that like the general population think because people, let's say like the stakeholders, the people in charge, those who are like decision makers, they come like from the general population themselves and they're actually reflecting whatever the society think things like into their decisions and like into like the laws that they are making and whatever it's not coming out of nowhere they're not they don't really like pay much attention like to the human rights conduct or like whatever there is like out there in the world mm -hmm. and okay even if they would even if there would be like let's say like rules like written ones that, that would protect like the queer society here dumb like put by the government we like we can never make sure that like the general population will not go against these rules and still kind of act the same way and have the same reaction towards um, anyone from the queer community. Uh, so yeah, some people might like just like go out and be like, yeah, we have to change the rules. Like we have to put rules out there that would protect like the queerity. Like Decriminal, like decriminalize it um, and so forth and so forth but like okay what what if it's there but people like I mean people have weapons out there mm -hmm. like they can they can just like go kill someone and like get away with it like easily just adding on to what he's saying even if there are the rules even there are there is a law for that um, the police itself the authorities are members of the community itself, and they are against it. So I think there's been more than one instance where there was a crime against the queer community or honor killings or whatever, where the authorities did not interfere whatsoever mm -hmm. um, because, hey, we're a member of them, we would do the same. Um, that, that's, that's why the laws itself um, would not be there since we're more of a tribal um, like country or region than something that's like that follows authority or law well and to pull from the same human rights watch report again 27 of the 54 interviews reported harassment or assault at a police or military checkpoint uh, which includes anything from groping uh, to rape to gang rape uh, to uh, genital mutilation these were all things that were reported um, and I think you make an interesting point uh, because uh, homosexuality itself has been decriminalized in Iraq uh, for about two decades now. Uh, but even now, there is a spike in violence against the community recently. And with that, um, I'd like to talk about the new law that's being proposed in Kurdistan that has 76 parliamentary members signed on to it, uh, which is a clear majority. Uh, and this uh, this uh, law is and this law is set up not only to prevent 
open expression of LGBT identity, uh, but also advocacy and reporting on behalf of the community. And I'm wondering if we could now turn to both of your thoughts on this legislation. Well, it's a terrible law. <laughs> um, I think, generally speaking, this it, it's something that I mentioned before is finding allies would be harder because even right now, I know my friends would, would support me. They would have my back no matter what. But if it comes to legal issues, legal problems, I know I would not have that kind of same support because of everything that would ensue. Um, for them, and I would not want them to to be involved um, because their their safety is important. But when when something like this comes out, it's it's get, it's starting to get harder and harder to be safe. Yeah, um, with that law, I mean, at the beginning when I first heard about it, I like I was like, yeah, maybe it's just like a bunch of old people like getting bored at the parliament, and they're like, yeah, let's like pass this law and see what how it goes. But it. It's definitely coming from somewhere. It's coming like from that really deep mentality that is like trying to reject this part of the community. And I think it has only came out as a reaction um, to the increasing visibility um, of the queer community on social media and in general um, within the region here. And I mean, I don't know, like, personally speaking, um, their excuse was, like, to protect the structure of the family. I still don't see the connection, to be honest. Um, yeah, and when someone, like, came, like, was on TV and was talking about it, he talked about the subject out of pure religion, which I think does not seem or like seem to be fair for um, just because something is a religion, it does not have to be um, in the constitution or like within like part of the laws or whatever. Because, uh, okay, maybe like the Iraqi constitution in a way is based on like Islamic Sharia, but not entirely. So um, this is probably going to sound like really bad. Um, but don't you think that this law is a general reaction to how the queer community itself is behaving? Um, like, I understand that uh, we, need, we need to be out there. We need to be putting ourselves, be ourselves. But we also need to understand that this community is going to take a really, really long time to accept us. So we can't just be like, hey, we're queer and we're out, like, right away. We should take the baby steps. Um, we're, we're too exposed to Western media that we just want to, like, jump towards, like, like five levels, we just want to <laughs> jump the next five levels and skip the f tutorial to begin with. Um, don't you think that's also something that's affecting that? Okay, let me like okay get two things. <laughs> All right, I told yeah. you it's gonna sound bad. <laughs> um, first thing first, um, there's always people are talking like. Yeah, queerity is connected to the Western society. Yes, queerity has now roots like within like the region here, etc., etc., etc. But it just happened that, and it's like out of complete um, coincidence that the Western community has found and has made peace with queerity before like the Middle Eastern society. Um, and it just happened that, like, let's say, 
um, that famous psychiatrist like came out to the DSM-5 assembly and was like, um, I am a psychiatrist, like I am gay, and like kind of like started uh, this whole kind of normalization thingy um, that is happening like, in, the, in like in the West while here in the Middle East we were like busy killing each other, or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. You can you can cut that. Later. No, 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 it's <laughs> fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay we were busy with something else so this is i don't really believe that like we are like heavily influenced like by the west yes it we need something like to to get our references from because we don't have much from our own region and, and like our own society um otherwise queerty goes back so deep in the middle eastern history um like but it's it, at some point, it just, like, vanished, disappeared. Like, there was, like, this huge gap until now. Um, th- that's th- that's the issue. And, like, people, like, kind of, like, seem to... F- f- they have forgotten about it. And they have seen it, like, as something bad, something kind of coming right now, like, from, from, the, from the West. Well, it has always been there in the Middle East with so much presence, um, with um, so much representation... Um, but yeah, probably Ada knows more. Um, what, what, what I was trying to reference is not that we're getting our references from, we're getting our references from like somewhere else. Um, what I'm saying is, is that we're not taking the baby steps towards, although I understand, I understand that like the, the first pride was a riot. Stonewall was a riot. Um, there was the whole... Um, 80s and 70s thing that was happening. We, we didn't go on a pride parade, if anything. We did not. <laughs> okay. We did not, like, put, like, uh, rainbow flags, like, all over the city. Of course. But it looks also, like, the, the sort of exposure people are putting themselves in is, like, I think that's what, what's causing this, this backlash um, to begin with, is that we're not slowly putting things in... We're not safe. We're not going to be safe. So if we just try to approach things more subtle and like in subtle ways, that would help like with the acceptance. But that's why I think like um, some shows have affected the mentality here, like from Western media and whatever have like brought positive light into queer identity. But at the same time, it's, it's also causing a lot of, problems from the queer community here as they're always putting themselves out there um publicly doing some of the things um again they should not hide who they are like i don't support that but it's also something maybe like take into consideration about this law and it's also like the public backlash so i don't know there is always going to be like a public backlash. Like um, you cannot, you cannot just like expect to everyone support the movement. There is always like going to be people out there like who would actually like support it, and people out there like who are going to be like against it. And you will have to deal with both of them. And yeah, let's say like the Western media, aka Netflix, yeah. for example. Not everyone is actually agreeing with it. It is giving some insight 
And people are like, oh, this, there is something like this. Oh, it's fine. It looks okay. At the same time, people are like outraged by it. And you can see it like, let's say, in the memes right now. Or like in the reels, like on Instagram, whatever that is. And people are like, yeah, like Instagram is so disgusting, blah, blah, blah. But otherwise, like some pe other people are like, no, like that's, that's actually like, insightful. So, um, It's a double-edged sword is what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. David, how do you think this law will impact the mental health of individuals? Uh, because its intention, however indirect, is to increase isolation. Um, I generally, and let's say like at least personally think, despite the law, um, those, let's say, civil society, communities, NGOs, etc., who are like supporting the, the queer society would always do like despite everything it would not be as like as loud and proud as it is right now and it would not be as visible but i believe it's going to still be out there it will definitely for sure increase like the isolation because like people will not be maybe able like to reach out let's say to um websites instagram pages um or whatever that is like out there like on social media that actually could um support them even if like if it's like through a text a question like a, a, a small council a counseling service or whatever that is because it's basically illegal to put that out there because of that law so yes definitely well to bring this to a conclusion uh I'd like to think that there are potentially people who might listen to this uh, that aren't out of the closet, uh, that might be facing isolation and struggling with the effects that that isolation has. And I was wondering, um, to bring this to an end, what you two might say to those individuals given the platform that you have today? For me, I would tell them, like, um, if anything, um, yeah, peace with yourselves first. Be safe. Uh, be careful out there um, and I just wish in a way or another they would find like that even like the smallest circle of friends that they can actually um, call them to be like their chosen family um, yeah so just get out there try to find your chosen family I would say carefully put yourself out there um you'll meet great people um david i, I got to know david quite recently <laughs> um and he's he's been tremendous support like throughout and he helped me find a small family for myself as well so well i'd like to thank both of you for your time today thanks you thanks thank you, you for having us cheers guys Thanks so much again to David and Arda for coming to speak with me. It really uh, meant a lot to be able to bring this episode to you. Uh, if you would like to get more information on the situation in KRI in Iraq, I've posted a link to the Human Rights 
Watch Report, Human Rights Watch Report, <laughs> that I referenced so much in the interview. Uh, I'll also say, generally speaking, that if you want to keep up to date on human rights issues in the queer community uh, in the region, you should check out Rasha Yunus, uh, who is a reporter and researcher at Human Rights Watch. Her work is fantastic, uh, and I'll include some of her work below as well. Uh, there is a lot that we were not able to cover in this conversation. There just isn't enough time. Uh, so I've also posted articles, including recent information about the law in the Kurdistan regional government. Uh, so if you're interested in gaining more insight into that developing piece of news, you should check those out. Inside Kurdistan is brought to you by the Kurdistan Information Network, and you can listen to our podcast at kurdistanin.net, as well as on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And if you have any questions or comments about this episode uh, or any other episode, feel free to send us an email at info at kurdistanin.net, uh, which is also posted below. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Aaron Weintraub, and this has been Inside Kurdistan. Inside Kurdistan.